You're listening to the Tech Life Today podcast featuring thoughtful stories and diverse personalities of the alumni, students, and staff of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. This is the place to learn and be entertained by people with a passion and a purpose, both inside and outside the classroom. The Tech Life Today podcast is an extension of Tech Life Today, Nate's online magazine. You can find more stories online by visiting techlifetoday.ca or by going to Tech Life Nate on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Liz Pittman. I'm a writer for techlifetoday.ca and the host of this podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I'm pleased to have Bud Venn on today's show. Bud is the manager of the Cyber Risk and Security section of the Edmonton Police Service and a grad from Nate's Electronic Engineering Technology Program. He's been with EPS for over 11 years, working to protect police systems and information. He'll offer some valuable tips for keeping your information safe on computers and devices. So, Bud, you're the manager of the Cyber Risk and Security section of the Edmonton Police Service. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you do for EPS? Basically, we're a lot like a corporate security, uh, a cyber section of a corporate security department. We protect the EPS network and the EPS information from outsiders or unauthorized access inside. I imagine that's a fairly big job. <laughs> it can be a big job. We have a team of four that uh, are continually reviewing information from the inside and information from the outside to determine if we are at risk for a particular item. How has the field changed as technology has become more advanced? Well, 11 years ago, the the attacks were not as sophisticated, but also there were fewer vulnerabilities. What has happened is uh, things are changing quickly, and it seems that there's increased pace of new vulnerable items in our network and new people and, and attack methods coming at us. It's uh, a continually changing field. It's very much, very much advancing and it seems that the pace is going faster. And how do you stay on top of all of those changes with them constantly coming? So our whole team has to enroll in uh, information from national security vulnerability advisor groups, mm-hmm. both in Canada and in the U.S. We also do some knowledge research on the, on the web mm-hmm. and uh, networking within the security community in Edmonton and also provincial groups okay. is a good source of information. When you started, when you graduated Nate and, and you started in this field, did you ever think that it would change to where we're at now? <laughs> I didn't really have any idea. We, we, the, uh, the internet was not around yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, computers on everyone's Having every person walk around with a computer was not a thought even. Well, because they wouldn't fit in your pocket back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did Nate prepare you for going into industry? I think Nate at that time, when I went, it was in the 80s, was very uh, forward thinking and trying to give us a breadth of uh, the technical knowledge we needed to know in my field, which was electronics, Mm -hmm. and also to concentrate on uh, some of the more academic stuff like English and some writing skills and some, uh, of course, nice to have Nate uh, provide uh, physical fitness and sports activities. Yeah. But a well-rounded, I think it was well-rounded. Right. Now, uh, again, we were chatting before recording about the term white hat hacker. And I know you've come to Nate and have spoken to students about what this is. What is a white hat hacker? Well, in general, it's a security researcher who is obeying the law 
and helping people find vulnerabilities, find problems in their network security, uh, and uh, often employed by the corporation they're investigating. Okay. A white hat hacker can also be working on their own and say, find a vulnerability in a website and just report it to the website owner. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't probably get paid for that. White hat hackers also, there's a variety of them that are in search of bug bounties. That's where you go to a particular software or website, and if you can find a problem, a weakness or a vulnerability, report it to the owner of that business, they will pay you money. Mm. And sometimes it's significant amounts of money. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of anyone who does that for an occupation, but I do know several people who are penetration testers. They're also what you call the white hat hackers, hired by a company to come and test the company's defenses. And if they find a way in, the company owner would be very glad because we found it before a bad guy could exploit it. Sure. Hopefully. So a white hat hacker, is that someone that EPS would work with? Yes. We hire white hat hackers or security research companies multiple times per year to analyze the external threat surface of our organization. Okay. So in terms of advice for the average person, let's start with password management. People tend to have the same ones that they fall back on over and over again. Uh, Any advice or best practices for managing your passwords? Well, I I think a a good solution, this will take a second to explain, but a good solution will include a password manager Mm -hmm. where you store your passwords encrypted on either your phone or your primary computer. And a a second, very next thing you'll need to do about that is save a hint or that actual password somewhere where you know it only is going to be savable. Like what I'm thinking of is uh, saving it in your wallet or your purse. People are very good at protecting small pieces of paper, like your driver's license and other stuff that's in your wallet. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that that be a clue to your login. And never reuse passwords. That's mm. a bad, bad idea. If you get one that is particular, you're particularly happy with, like, like say, Happy Cat, and you use it at your bank, and you use it at Nate, and you use it at a very inconspicuous uh, store, mm-hmm. all that has to happen is one of those gets hacked, and they've got access now that they can try that every, sure. all over the place. Yeah. The other thing I would say also about passwords is if you can use two-factor authentication, like is offered by Google and PayPal, and many of the institutions are starting to do this, even banks and other institutions. Very good uh, two-factor authentication. It makes it really difficult for your identity to be stolen from that location. Okay, those are some really helpful tips. What about phishing scams? We've seen high-profile attacks like the one via email at McEwen University in 2017, but they also happen on a really small scale in personal emails. Any advice for avoiding those? The number one protection there is security awareness. Awareness of how come you're getting an email out of the blue from someone, you know, it's going to look suspicious in some way. The best crafted ones have almost no suspicion to them at all. They're from a bank you actually deal with. Mm-hmm. It, the name looks legit. It's 
mention something that's potentially possible, but still have a have a degree of uh, suspicion or, or be careful about what you actually are getting into. Many times people say, but I think this was legitimate, so I clicked. Well, you, what you want to do is say, I think this was legitimate, so I went by another method such as a phone or a separate internet browse session and went to that institution. Uh, just this week, we had several people get uh, messages from PayPal, and it said, your account's in a limited fashion, uh, click here, you need to correct it. And of the two people that sent to me, they said, what can I do about this? And I, I said to them, you would go to the PayPal website separately, not through the link in that email, and then you'll find out, is your account in a incorrect status or mm-hmm. anything wrong? Yeah, because there will be some sort of notification on your profile somewhere if there's something that needs your attention. Yeah. A few years ago, we used to say contact them out of band. So if you got an email from your bank, you you would phone your bank. Use a separate channel of communication. Um, I think that's less common nowadays now that people uh, make fewer phone calls, basically. Sure. Yeah. I would like to get your thoughts on the cloud. It's everywhere. Is it a safe thing to use? Well, the security on the cloud is always in question. Okay. And we always work towards improving it. The, I know, I do know the, the cloud people take security seriously, but they have their limits as to what they can do for you. And the other important point to note is you're going to, as a, say, as a large organization or a medium-sized organization, you're going to trust someone else with the management of your information. You can, you can offload a lot of work and a lot of activities, but you don't actually offload the liability as to what would happen if that were to become compromised. Mm-hmm. For example, they may be able, you may have insurance that would pay you financially back for money you lost as a result of a breach, but as uh, more applicable to the EPS is we would lose reputation and reputation can't be bought back. Mm. And Reputational risk is a very important thing for public organizations. Right. So is the lesson here with using the cloud proceed with caution? Because it's such an easy option to minimize taking up that space on your computer, et cetera, et cetera. What's your advice? So consider the content of the information you're going to store in the cloud and then proceed with caution. Proceed with more caution if it's extremely sensitive information, information that would be embarrassing or harmful if it were released. Think of it as the... The newspaper test of ethics. Hmm. We used to, we used to, there used to be a ethics test of what would you feel like if this were in the newspaper tomorrow. Sure. Well, it's a similar to that. How badly would you be hurt or embarrassed if that was in the newspaper tomorrow? Okay. In terms of protecting phones and updating software, whether it's iOS or Android phones, what should we do to protect ourselves? It's a fundamental security concept to. Put, install the manufacturer's updates on your phone or any other computer system. They're releasing fixes to security problems people have, ha- have found, such as those bounty hunters, bug bounty hunters right. I mentioned earlier. Well, I'll be updating my iOS software when we're done recording. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, Bud, when you mentioned that attacks are getting more sophisticated, what does that mean? How has that changed? It used to be a joke that you get a phishing email and there would be four normal words misspelled in it and you could spot it pretty easily. 
some of the attackers are getting better at that and spelling everything correctly. And all you have to, if, if you have a really good eye, you'll spot on number one where an L was supposed to be. And it's, it's getting a little trickier to spot. But actually, the more sophisticated attacks would be if your company or organization was targeted. Okay. If you become a target, they'll spend a lot of time researching the ins and outs, uh, personal details of employees and all sorts of stuff. And, and it, it becomes a real operation. If you become targeted, I think you might as well admit that you're going to get broken into. It's, it's, it's a determined group of criminals can break into almost anything. It just takes them a little time. So how often are attacks happening? Is this a constant thing, like every second? Or, you know, how is this working? Well, for an example, the Nate network, where it faces the internet, is probably undergoing some low-level scanning type of attacks uh, dozens of times per second right this minute. <laughs> wow. Coming from all over the world, and they are basically low-level expeditions just to find out if there's uh, exploitable vulnerabilities on your network. Those aren't really attacks. I wouldn't call them attacks. But then uh, to go up the scale a bit, there'd be people trying to uh, manipulate the Nate web pages. Sure. Uh, in chatting with Nate's Director of Information Technology, I know that our institution takes cybersecurity very seriously. Uh, it's an ongoing concern. We're just as vulnerable as other organizations. Uh, I would say that there's probably organized crime groups doing some kind of uh, uh, attempts at this kind of attack all the time, all day long now. Whether or not Edmonton or Nate or Alberta is even being hit, it's hard to guess, but they are happening all over. Are policing agencies at risk of attacks? I think police agencies and municipal governments are always under attack. Municipal agencies and, and municipal cities, they're targets because of their control of a bunch of money and their political stance and all this stuff. They're, they're, they're definitely targets for amateur criminals and probably the medium-scale fraud Okay, bud, thank you so much for joining me today for the Tech Life Today podcast. I have some password changing and some software updating to do, so I appreciate um, your advice and some fascinating insight into the world of cybersecurity. You're welcome. Thank you to Bud for being part of today's episode, and thank you for listening. In the show notes for this episode, you'll find related Tech Life Today stories, how to keep your data safe online, organizing and protecting digital photos, and how to declutter your online files. Next month, I'll sit down with Nate's registered dietitian, Nick Creelman, to bust some nutrition myths. We'll talk about protein in plant-based diets, cutting out carbs and fats, and more. The Tech Life Today podcast is an extension of Nate's online magazine, Tech Life Today. You can find more stories online by visiting techlifetoday.ca or by going to Tech Life Nate on Facebook and Twitter. If you have feedback you'd like to share about the podcast, please email techlife at nate.ca. Thanks so much for listening. We can't wait to share more Nate stories with you.